I guess what I didn't realize in that was that God would sort of be challenging me and revealing some things to me about what I believe or about how I study, and I struggle with this one really tough. I, I, I've talked to several of you about it, actually, along the way. See, I'm very type A uh, shocker, right? It's like the trait of a good pharmacist is that you're very type A. Everything is linear and concrete. I don't leave any room for the abstract, really, in my thought life or in my personal life. I prefer everything to be very clearly explainable. So as you can imagine, when you're trying to put a very clear, linear topic theme on the subject of hope, it's sort of difficult. So I struggled. Uh, I had a lot going on in my mind and how I got what was going on in my mind to actually come out of my mouth in a way that was not just like total randomness was sort of eluding me. But I feel like through a lot of conversations I had, through some study, through some uh, introspection, I feel like God has sort of revealed to me this idea of hope and how hope pertains to Christ and to the Advent season in, in a way that I'm really excited to share with you guys. I have to tell you this story. It's not in my notes. And I, I don't think Nicole will mind. It's good. It's good for you. Um, <clears throat> but so, so as I'm like, so as I prepare for sermons, right, I typically like what I do is I, I get, Greg gives me a theme or I choose a theme. And then off that theme, then I kind of start to build an outline. And I pray about it and I read scripture that pertains to the certain subject matter. And, and then we, I, I start to craft an outline. And usually, usually I let Nicole be totally surprised by it. I don't, like, dialogue it with her. But I was, like I said, I was really struggling with hope. And so one night I was like, hey, we got to talk about this because I need to talk this out with somebody and understand, so you can understand, like, what I'm talking about. And she was like, okay. So she sat, sits on the couch very patiently, very attentively, while I, like, unpack, like, 40 minutes of just, bleh. Just, like, I just, like, vomit out all these ideas onto the living room floor, right? And I'm like, yeah, so that's what I, that's what I think I'm going to do. And she's like, that's terrible. That's, and she, so she tells me, so this is the mark, right? Like, this is the mark that I feel like was so valuable to me. And this was the turning point in my preparation for the sermon. And really where I feel like things kind of went the other direction was she said, you're just saying what you think people need to hear, not what God is saying to you. And I was like, <laughs> start over. I think I called Greg the next morning on the way in. But that sort of marked this period of some intense, uh, reflection and some intense preparation. I'm really excited to be able to share you, with you what um, I feel like God has given me. So as we start to talk about the word hope, I think first we have to sort of define what hope really is. And hope is a word that can either be used as a noun or it can be used as a verb. As a noun, it's like now I have hope or uh, now we have hope. As a verb, it's like I hope it doesn't rain today, right? And we use hope in our everyday speech. We use it a lot. I actually started to realize just how much we use it. I was sitting having a conversation with Will Bynum about the, the term hope. And I was like, man, I just hope this turns out good because I just hope people get something. And he was like, hope, hope. <laughs> so I, we use it in our everyday state speech. We say things like, man, I hope there's not bad traffic on the Glen on the way home. Or I hope the Steelers win the Super Bowl, which, yes. which they won't, which they won't. <laughs> But we say that, right? But the question is, is, is that kind of hope the same hope as the hope of Advent, as the, the hope as it pertains to Christ? So as we get our bearings, let's uh, look at the definition. Hope, by definition, is a noun that means an optimis optimistic attitude of mind based on expectation of a positive outcome related to events and circumstances in one's life or the world at large. Whew. Okay, shorten it. Hope is... Confident anticipation of better things to come. I can work with that. I like number two better. 
When it's used as a verb, it means to expect with confidence or to cherish a desire with anticipation. So as it pertains to Christ, we frequently hear Christ referred to as the hope of the world, right? Or the hope of the nations. And the question is, where does that come from? One prophecy that that comes out of is in Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. It says, Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. Okay, so as we're talking about Christ and how Christ is the hope of the world, right? The whole reason we celebrate the season. I want to do this little exercise, okay? And I'll explain it in a second, but this is what I want you to do. It's not going to be freaky. Everyone's like, oh, panicking, like there's going to be participation. So this, is what, so this is what I want everybody to do. I want everybody to close your eyes, and I'm going to walk you through this scenario. And as I walk you through this scenario, I want you to picture it in your mind as vividly as possible. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the person that I'm talking about. Okay, everybody ready? You're alone and you're wandering through a hotel. And it's night, it's dark outside, and the hotel is dark. Everything's dark. There doesn't appear to be anyone else around, and you're looking for something. You aren't quite sure exactly what it is that you're looking for, but you know that it has to be here somewhere. You're hopeful that, you're fi- that you will find it, but considering that you've been in this hotel sort of stumbling around in the darkness for quite a while now, you're starting to lose your confidence. In fact, you're actually discouraged. You're feeling some level of despair, but yet through that despair, you just keep searching. You open door after door and enter room after room in the darkness, only to find that what you're looking for is nowhere to be found. Sort of... Sitting in that despair, you walk up a next set of, the next set of stairs onto a new floor. You can't be totally sure, but you think that it might be the only floor that you haven't checked yet. And as you round the corner down this new hallway, first it appears dark. You hang your head in disappointment, and then suddenly you notice a light flick on in one of the rooms. You notice that glimmer of light coming out from under one of the doors, and now given the obvious difference, Between that door and every other door that you have checked to this point, you head straight for it. You don't totally understand it at this point, and maybe you're initially a little skeptical, but the closer you get, the brighter you realize the light must be in order to cast as much light into the hall as it is from under the tiny crack where the door meets the floor. The brighter the light gets, the greater the anticipation that grows inside of you. And with each step towards it, you become a little more confident that what you're looking for has to exist within that room. So you start to run faster and faster. By the time you reach the door, all the reservations that you once had about the light or what could be behind the door are gone. You're certain that what you're looking for is there. And when you reach the door, with all of your weight and all of your momentum, you throw yourself into it. And the door blows open and you fall into what lies beyond and you're immediately blinded. Your eyes were so used to the darkness that this much light all at once totally overwhelms you, and you aren't aren't able to immediately see the vastness of where you stand. But slowly, as your eyes adjust, you begin to see that you're standing in the middle of a field. Wide open field, nothing but blue sky and wind-blown grass for miles. 
You're no longer held captive by the maze that you were just wandering. When suddenly you become aware that there's a second door into this field. That door was apparently left wide open. And then it hits you and you realize that you aren't alone. You feel the overwhelming presence of God and you know in your heart of hearts at that moment that you've found exactly what you were looking for. You realize that God has been here waiting for you, having opened his door long before you even saw the light flick on and opened yours. And now you have the confidence that everything you need to survive in this life and be confident in the promises of the next has been made available to you. Your perspective has changed and all the feelings of despair and of hopelessness are gone in an instant. As a matter of fact, the part of your heart that was once occupied by that despair is now bursting with peace, with joy, and with love. And you're filled with the realization that you will never have to stumble around in the darkness again. So your response at that moment is the only reasonable option that exists. To yell and shout and sing your praises to the God who has just delivered you, who has just offered you salvation, who has just given you hope. So as you open your eyes, this was this vision that was sort of placed in my mind this week, this last few weeks as I've studied for this sermon about the hope of Christ. And our scripture for today is Romans 5, 1 and 2, and I kind of want to walk you through how this vision was planted in my mind. So I talked to Greg on the phone, sort of in despair myself about what I was going to talk about today. And I got to my office at work, and I shut the door. It was like 5.45 in the morning. <clears throat> and I was praying, God, just show me what, what you want me to see. So I Google uh, scriptures about hope, and I'm reading all these scriptures that talk about hope, right? And Romans 5, 1 and 2 immediately stands out to me uh, because the word hope is not in it. Romans 5, 1 and 2 in the NIV says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. As a matter of fact, if you look at Romans 5, 1 through 5, like all, four, all the other three Advent virtues are in that text in the NIV and hope is not. So I was like, well, that's weird. I want to read it in a different version. Well, the only version of the Bible that I have in my office at the moment is the message version by Eugene Peterson. So I pulled that version off the shelf. And here's what it says. Romans 5, 1 and 2 in the message says, By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with him, make us fit for him, we have it all together with God because of our master Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing in the place we always hoped we might stand, in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. So this text, it paints a picture of three things to me as it pertains to hope, as it pertains to Advent. Paints the picture of the hopelessness that we experience as humanity before we receive the gift of Christ. It paints the picture of, what the, of the gift of Christ himself and the hope that that represents. And the third thing is our response to the gift of hope that's offered in Christ. So let's tackle these one by one. Starting with the hopelessness that we experience prior to the gift of a Savior. 
So returning to the imagery that I used a little bit earlier, I have to believe that we're all, before Christ, we're all sort of stumbling around in the darkness looking for something, right? We're searching for something that we just can't quite quantify with words, and especially before encountering and like really encountering Christ, I think of the void that sort of existed in my own heart, in my own soul, this longing that was just waiting to be filled. And even then, I think about all the things that I tried to fill it with, right? All the things that I thought could occupy that space. It was almost like I was searching this hotel room after room after room in the dark only to still feel empty and dissatisfied. Almost like I was sitting at one of those little pegboards with like a triangular shaped peg trying to cram it through a square shaped hole over and over and over thinking somehow it was going to be different. And I know Greg's used this illustration before, but I have to believe that without Christ, every human at the core of their being is doing exactly that, right? We're all sitting at a pegboard and we're trying to jam a career-shaped peg or a substance-shaped peg or a respect-shaped peg through a God-shaped hole in our hearts. We search and we search and we search. We throw open door after door in the dark, knowing that we'll just sort of know when we find it. But until that time, there remains this void begging to be filled. And in that void is uncertainty and loneliness, emptiness, frustration. Romans 8, 20 and 21 says, For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. You see, the void dates back to the moment that Adam took the bite of the apple. At that moment, every human heart would be seeded with a frustration that would find its roots in a place of incomplete relationship with the Father. Okay, let me say that again. At the moment Adam took the bite of the apple, every human heart would be seeded with a frustration that finds its roots in a place of incomplete relationship with the Father. Now see, This is fundamental because we were designed, our original design was to be in complete relationship with the Father. And so when a piece of that is taken away, at that moment we have no choice but to search for the hope that we will someday regain what we've lost, that we will someday be made whole again. And as I mentioned, many of us seek that in some pretty unsatisfying places. We seek it in things that just aren't capable of filling the void because the reality is that the void is incomplete relationship with the Father. So if that is the, if that is the void, if the void is our lack of relationship or lack of complete relationship with God, then the only thing of filling that void is, in fact, reconciliation with God. Restoration of the relationship to the original design that was once stolen from us by our earliest ancestor, by Adam. And I asked God this question for years. Uh, I have asked him for years, and I feel like while I was preparing for this, he, he answered it. The question is, all the religions in the world, the grand scope of religions, right? And you think, whether or not Christianity is right or is the, the right way, why is it that every human searches for something beyond themselves? Why do we all beg for answers? Why do we all need to know that? And I feel like he sort of just plopped it down in my lap in preparation for the sermon. 
See, we long because we've been stripped of a component of our original design. And the only thing that can satisfy the longing is the hope that one day we will get it back. We search whether or not we even recognize it for hope. We search for confidence that we won't always have to live like this, right? That we won't always have to live in this constant state of decay that we live in now. And as I thought about this, I thought, well, I think, because when I first started preparing, I was like, well, I think everyone has some degree of hope, right? Like that's sort of ingrained in the human spirit. But what God has shown me is that that's not true. Everyone has a longing, but the longing is different from hope. Because if hope is confident and eager expectation of better things to come, there is no confidence in that longing. The longing itself only exists to show us what we really long for, to reveal the void. And if the void, as I've said several times, is our severed relationship with the Father, then the only bridge capable of spanning that void and reconciling us to him is the hope that is provided in Christ Jesus. You tracking? So then you might say that when Christ was born, when the first time, that that ended the reign of hopelessness here on earth. And this sort of brings us to the second thing that's worth considering about how Advent pertains to this idea of hope, and that is specifically the hope of the Savior, the hope of the Messiah, the hope of Jesus Christ. The confident and eager expectation of better things to come that it can only be provided in Christ. So remember, he is the hope of the nations. He is the hope of the world. In John 14, 6 and 7, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, then you would know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. In that section of text, we see that though we search the world for satisfaction, right? That we throw open door after door in the dark, there is only one door behind which we will find what we're looking for. That door is Jesus. He is the only way back to the Father. He is the only way to fully reconcile our relationship with him. He is the only way to fill that void. So when we finally find the door that is Christ, and embrace him then, and only then, can we experience real hope, right? Real hope, not just the longing. Then can we finally be confident in the expectation that we will be made whole again, and moreover, when we finally find the door that is Christ, as the text in in John says, and by faith enter through it, we see him, and in his glory, glory, we also see the Father. And by knowing Christ, we may also know the Father. That by seeing and knowing Christ, we will see and know the Father, and the void will be filled, right? So the problem is that prior to Jesus' first coming, the door is dark, right? We're all sort of stumbling around in the darkness, and there's nothing to guide us to the door. If you remember back to our sermon series in Hebrews, a long time ago, jogging your memory, In Hebrews, we discuss several times that Jesus was always God's plan for the redemption of his people. That from the moment God created the earth, he knew how this thing would play out, and Jesus was always the plan. But prior to his birth, he was only a prophecy. In other words, the door was installed, 
right? The door was there, but it was dark, and it was hard to find in the surrounding darkness and with no guiding light. So some found their way to God, but many just wandered in hopelessness, right? Wandered in despair. 1 John 1.5 says, This is the message we have heard from him, from Jesus, and proclaim to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness, no darkness at all. So if God is light and we are in darkness, then God did the only thing he could do for a whole group of people stumbling around in the darkness, and that's that he turned on the light. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, when Jesus was born into the manger in Bethlehem, God turned on the light. And by doing that, he allowed a little piece of himself to shine out from under the door that is the only way back to him, to illuminate our path, to show us exactly what it was we were looking for, exactly how to get back to him, so that we didn't have to wonder or wander in the darkness anymore. Through Christ, we're able to see our Father, and though our eyes are so adjusted to the darkness— we're quickly overwhelmed because in him there is no darkness. Without Christ in the world, there would have been no light in the world. He had to be born. He had to walk among us. He had to live in order to show us that the one true way to fill the void in our souls, that it could only be accomplished through him. And as a result, when God placed light into the world in that stable in Bethlehem, he placed hope into the heart of every man that was searching for reconciliation with himself. It's sort of the powerful uh, realization from the imagery that we open our door to, to God only to find that he had already thrown his door open to us long before, that he'd been waiting there for us, longing for relationship with us the same way that we longed for completeness with him. That he had finally would experience another son or daughter come home. Christ alone is our confident and eager expectation of better things to come. Christ alone is the gift of hope that once embraced leaves us standing where Romans 5 in the message says, in the place we always hoped we might stand, in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory. So then, the last thing that we have to consider then, I guess, is the, our response to the gift of hope. We talked about hopelessness, we talked about the gift, but how do we respond to the gift? Well, the text in Romans, again in the message version, it says that our response to the receipt of hope is to stand tall and shout his praise. Somewhere along the line, as I was thinking about this, somewhere along the line, in the celebration of Advent and the celebration of Christmas, it became like this quiet, reflective holiday, right? I think, honestly, if I'm like tra tracing it back in my own mind, thinking like, how did this happen? I think it's because it's associated with the baby. And so you're like, you gotta be quiet. It's like the wise men like bowing, you know? It's like silent night. I don't know, but what I can see from this text in Romans is that the advent of hope in the world is not something to be ushered in with like quiet hymns and candles. 
We've been offered hope that someday we will be restored to our original design, that someday we will break the chains of bondage to decay that were mentioned earlier. So note that the text doesn't say that we should stand, that we're, the text doesn't say that we should burst through the door into the place we always hoped we might stand and then light a candle and whisper a hushed prayer. The text says that we should stand tall and shout his praise, that both our posture and our voice should be reflective of the transformative power of hope in our hearts. So let's take a look at the two ways we should respond. Let's start with standing tall. I love this because when you think about hope as the confident and eager expectation of better things to come, I think standing tall is a beautiful play on this confidence, right? We know the good and perfect sacrifice that Christ represents to us. And that in that, there is no uncertainty regarding how much the Father loves his children. If he was willing to sacrifice his own son in order that we might live with him in eternity, I can't think, as a father myself, I can't think of another gift that would give me any more confidence or any more of the ability to stand tall in the promises of God. So really, in its simplest form, our response to the gift of hope is faith. Faith in Christ. Faith in God. Because Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is confidence. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. By faith, by faith in God, by faith in the light behind the door and by faith in the door itself, we can throw it open and immediately experience that flood of light. And by faith, we can remain in that space. We can remain confident in better things to come. So the second response to the gift of hope is to shout his praise. Now, it's sort of hard to think um, about a bunch of people wandering around in darkness and then moments later uh, shouting and singing and praising God. But the reality is that's what happens. And this the shouting, the singing, it's our only real tangible response. When we throw open our door at that moment, our perspective is totally changed. And I love this pastor on the East Coast. Uh, his name's Stephen Furtick. He's in Charlotte, North Carolina. And recently I was listening to one of his sermons and he said, perspective can either bind you to the way things are or set you free to the way things can be. Where we once only had the perspective of darkness, we only had the perspective of the reality that was a void in our souls, now we have had our perspective set free. Now we can see the way that things can and will someday be. And we can rejoice in that. And in that shift in perspective, in actually being able to see better things to come, then we're able to see exactly how the other three virtues of Advent, peace, joy, and love, are pertinent. And I don't think that it's coincidence that the hope comes first in the order. Because the reality is that without hope, how could you ever experience peace, joy, or love? Real peace, joy, or love without hope in your heart? You couldn't. So when despair and hopelessness and emptiness are replaced in your heart by hope, joy, peace, and love, then obviously you do the only thing that you can possibly do in that moment. Light a candle and whisper a prayer. (laughs) 
No, you stand tall and you shout his praise. You praise the person. You praise the God that is capable of that kind of a transformation in your heart. It's impossible to be hushed in that moment, right? So when we reflect on the Christmas season, when we reflect on the first coming of Christ, do we stand tall and shout our praise? Do we cry out to the God that gives us hope, even if that hope cost him the life of his own son? So all this considered, right, hopelessness before Christ, Christ as hope, and our response to the gift of hope, all this considered, there's really one more fundamental thing that you have to realize. When we received a Savior born into a manger in Bethlehem, and furthermore, when we accepted Christ personally ourself, this in, it, this in itself is not the end. It's the whole point of hope, right? Hope is confident and eager expectation of better things to come. Hope is not the better things to come. It's the confident and eager expectation of those better things. So at the moment we receive hope, our perspective changes. We have the confidence that we will see the void filled in our hearts, but yet the void still exists. So hope in itself can't be the end, right? The first coming of Christ can't be the end if he is the hope of the world. Hebrews 9.28 says, Christ was sacrificed, sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. I love this next one. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ, by who, or who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. The first coming of Christ brought hope into the world when by his blood he granted us access back to our Father, but the next time he comes, it won't be to pay for sins, right? The next time he comes, it will be to bring us salvation, it will be to complete the work that he started. It will be to finally fill the void in our souls by taking us home to be with our Father in completed relationship in the original design for all of eternity. So, Melissa, you can come up. As we begin this week, right, our time to reflect on the Christmas season and our time to reflect on Advent, We really have to consider what it means to have had a Savior born in a manger in Bethlehem. We have to consider how this reality changed everything for us, right, as, as followers of him, as Christians. This baby was and is the hope of the people. He was and is the confident and eager expectation that we will be one day returned to our original design in relationship with God. He is the hope of reconciliation with the Father. He is the hope of eternity with him. And that in that hope, everything has changed for us. That hope sets us free to the way things can be and releases the chains of the way things are. Hope is the conduit through which flow peace, joy, and love. So the question that I have for you is this. If you, if you have already thrown open your door, if you've already accepted Christ, maybe it was yesterday, maybe it was years ago, are you still standing tall and shouting his praise? 
Are you yelling at the top of your lungs in order that A, he would be praised and receive glory, and B, that those around the door searching for it would hear your voice, would be drawn to the light? With the gift of hope available to anyone who's searching for it, how could we possibly keep it quiet? I guess the real question is, is the hope of Christ evident in you still? And if you haven't yet thrown your door open, then you have to know, right, that, that everything you're searching for is available to you. That you don't have to stumble around in the darkness anymore, that you don't have to be despaired anymore, that you don't have to be hopeless anymore, because Christ has come. He was born and he lived and eventually he hung on a cross so that your sins would be forgiven. So that you could someday be filled, have the void filled that existed since you drew your first breath. So that you would have hope and that that hope is available today, whenever you're ready. He already threw his door open. And the reality is, too, is that whether you accepted Christ a long time ago or whether you're feeling like, I'm going to do that now or whether you're not, the reality is that he is coming back. And when he does, for all those willing to put their trust in him, their faith in him, their hope in him, the void will be filled and he's taken us back with him. To finally live in eternity with our Heavenly Father, in the original design, complete. So let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't feel like I can in good conscience deliver that message and not give an opportunity for response. So if today you're still wandering in the darkness, if today you're still searching for what will fill that longing, if you're still searching for hope, today's the day that you can find it. There is only one door. It's the only one with light. And that door is Jesus Christ. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if, if today is that day for you, if today you feel like you found the door, and today you want perspective changed, you want to give your heart over to Christ, I'd just ask you to be bold. I'd ask you to just slip up a hand. And if you've already accepted Christ, you've already thrown open your door, if your eyes have adjusted, or maybe if they haven't, you're still standing there blinded. Stand tall. Shout his praise. Because you've been given hope. You won't always live like this. You will be made complete. All that frustration, all that despair, all that emptiness and loneliness can be gone. Because your perspective has been set free. So don't let Christmas be hushed and don't let Christmas be this quiet, silent holiday. Scream it from the rooftops. 
praise the God that is capable of that kind of a transformation. Heavenly Father, God, you are so good. Your promises are so good. And God, we just thank you for the light. We thank you for giving us a way back to you, for illuminating our path, for making it clear to us exactly how we find you in this maze. God, we just thank you for your son. We thank you for his birth and his life here, God, that he would represent hope to us, that he would give us hope, that he would give us confident and eager expectation of better things to come. And God, we are so confident and so eager for what is better to come. We look forward to his second coming. We cannot wait. In the meantime, while we're here, God, we will stand tall and we will shout your praise so that all would hear, so that you would be glorified, so that you would get a few more sons and daughters that would come home before you send your son back. We love you. We praise you. It's in your son's name that we pray.